broken out our solo cups this weekend for college weekend. Is that why they're there? We just ran out of the other ones? I swear it's water in here, in case you're wondering. I know they have a reputation in college towns. So, um, we're in Nehemiah 6. Make your way over to Nehemiah 6. Uh, we're going to be picking up in verse 15 uh, this morning. Now, just to remember, right, last week as, as the rebuilding of, of the walls was approaching a completion time, uh, we learned about these powerful regional enemies that were conspiring against Nehemiah. We've seen this over and over and over in Nehemiah. Uh, but last week we were seeing, right, that first they were trying to lure him into this shady meeting in this sketchy location. Uh, and, and then they were trying to, uh, uh, and then they sent that open letter, right, that just uh, was filled with these rumors and, and false accusations of insurrection uh, against him. And finally they they actually hired a, a prophet, paid off a prophet, uh, to try to coax Nehemiah into the inner part of the temple and, and thus to commit this shameful sin against the Lord, and that would have also ruined his reputation there as, as, as the leadership there. Uh, now, today, we're going to see the project is completed. This is the big thing, right? We're building these walls, trying to get them in, and it's completely, com- completely done, and yet you're probably going to be underwhelmed by the lack of... of hoopla like we tend to do when things get finished. There's, there's no grand opening, there's no balloon goons put up, uh, no donuts, there's no hip hip hooray for Nehemiah or anyone else. Um, they just kind of continue on with what's going to happen and, and we'll see that. Now what I do want you to see in our, our passage and I, I'm, you know, um, is, is this, is that, is that even as it's, it's finished, even as the project is complete, the, the work does not finish. There's still a great deal more to be done. And, and particularly, there's three things I want you to see today, um, these three unique fears that are pl- at play in each section, and I'm telling you ahead of time because I want you to look for them as, as we're reading God's word here in a, in a moment. Um, look for them. Now, I'm going to do my best here. You know me, uh, then you know this is not my specialty. Uh, there's a lot of hard to pronounce names in here. Next week's even better. Uh, but remember, I'm from Texas, and I pronounce things about as well as W does. And, and so when you hear me just go through it and sound like I know what I'm talking about, and you're thinking that's not how that's pronounced, just, just go with me on this one, okay? All right, so let's read beginning in uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. And so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elu, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was, he was the, the son-in-law of, of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehoahanim had taken the daughter of Mesalam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and more God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
some of the guard posts, and some, some in front of, of their homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. <clears throat> Great and awesome God, we are here today because you have called us to worship you. And because you have done and are doing a work in us that only you can do, you have graciously set us free to, to look on you with reverence and awe and to love you. We thank you for, for calling us out of our sin. We thank you for, for opening our hearts to, to see you and know you and love you and desire to honor you. And Father, we, as we now reflect on, on, on and study your word this morning, we ask for understanding. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to, to move us to receive your word as your word and for our minds and our hearts and, and wills to yield our ways to your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so I got through those, those words. Here's the crazy thing. I actually listen to those and practice those pronunciations, and I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't, I can't get there. So I hope you're okay with that, because it's what it is. Now, we're talking about a wall here this morning, and there are a lot of famous walls in history. Uh, there's the Great Wall of China that was built over many centuries in order to keep enemies out. Uh, some of you are familiar with the Berlin Wall that was built in a very short manner of time, and it was designed to keep the Germans in. Um, Zimbabwe, when I looked these up, Tim's way up in the balcony today, but Zimbabwe actually has a big wall uh, called the Great Wall of Zimbabwe or something like that. Uh, Seattle has a wall that's covered in 20 years worth of people's chewing gum. It's disgusting. Um, our own city in Manhattan is actually protected by two walls that I doubt you ever think about. Uh, Right? Uh, one is the Tuttle Creek Dam. It's a wall. Uh, and the other is the, the levee that is that raised portion of the linear trail if you've ever been on it. You go up there real high and you think, why did they raise this? Just so I can see over this farmer's field? No, it's, it's actually a levee to protect us from, from floods. Now, <clears throat> uh, that's why they're there. They're designed to contain floodwaters that before they were there actually at times came in here and flooded this. And, and there's a mark across the street you can see that shows you the flood line of 1955. Every single one of your heads would be underwater according to that line. Uh, back before those were made. Uh, our levee is currently being raised by just three feet. Um, it is a, a project that is expected to take 30 months. That's 912 days for just three feet of mostly dirt that is being moved by hydraulic machinery. Um, you you kind of think that doesn't seem like a big project, but apparently it is. And I don't mean to belittle that. You, I don't know enough to even do that. Now, <clears throat> the first thing that we are learning here in our text today, though, is that the, the walls of Jerusalem, they are actually finished. It's what we've been waiting for. And Nehemiah tells us the date of this. It's the 25th, 25th of the month of Elul, uh, which is roughly September 21st, coming up in a couple weeks from now, uh, if you're using a Gregorian calendar, which that's what all of you actually use. Um, this has all happened very quickly. Uh, if you remember way back to the beginning, Nehemiah was in the city of, of Susa, and, and that was roughly November of 444 B.C., uh, that's when he first heard there's these troubles in Jerusalem, the walls in shambles, the people are discouraged. Uh, and it was April then before he actually got permission from the king to, to come down and to rebuild these walls. It was roughly August 1st then uh, when the project began in earnest. And now it is just 52 days after it began in earnest uh, that this two to two and a half miles of, of wall are, are complete. That is incredibly fast. Any of you have ever been involved in any construction project, you know 
that is fast even by our modern standards, right? Our <clears throat> the place we're looking at for a new worship place, it, it's going to undergo a great deal of construction uh, in a time that's not ideal for us. And, and yet, it's got the walls and the roof. Everything's already there, just to put that in perspective. I know Christine's got a, uh, a project going. Is it going to be done in 52 days? No. 52 years? Hopefully. Um, <clears throat> so, in 2008, archaeologists actually unearthed a section of Nehemiah's wall. It still exists today. Uh, how do they know? Uh, this is the question my, my children ask me, right? How do they know? Well, something about dating and science and whatnot, I don't really know. When I, when I said that to our kids, though, my, my, my son asked, well, who did they date that knew when Nehemiah's wall was, a, was available? Anyway, the, the wall is not as polished as you might picture it. It was kind of interesting to see. It's, uh, it's like a taller version. If you've ever been out to the Shanahan's and you've seen the old, uh, or anywhere around, you kind of see these stone walls that you, all across Kansas. It looked a bit like that, the one that's in the Shanahan's backyard, only a little taller. Uh, it's not that it's ugly. We find it beautiful. Anything made out of stone we find beautiful, though. And it's, you know. Uh, anyway, Nehemiah's wall is still here nearly 2,500 years later, even though it was built uh, quickly and, and not to be the most beautiful thing on the planet. Now, we see how speedy completion, uh, uh, the speedy completion of a monumental project and, and the way that it actually affects the neighboring enemies, the neighboring nations over into Jerusalem. Uh, look at verse 16, right? Uh, when nearby enemy nations hear about this, they become afraid. And why do they become afraid? Because they realize, you know what? There's no way a construction project can be done this quick. There's no way they could have done it with the amount of people they have. And, and then suddenly they realize, you know what? God must have helped the Jews do this. Their, their God has worked powerfully to actually accomplish this. And, and now they are terrified because for them it means, you know what, their God is real. Their God is working for them. And, and, and well, it's not good to be in, at, at war, an enemy of the Lord. You remember back in 4.4 uh, of, of Nehemiah when, when Nehemiah is praying and he says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads. Now, you and I look at this, and, and you read that, and you look at how it turns out, and we kind of call it irony, but it's an answer to that prayer, right, that these enemies had spent uh, the last 52 days trying to instill uh, fear in the hearts of God's people, trying to terrify God's people, only to now be filled with terror themselves, even though God's people made no attempt to do that. At the heart, they fear God's judgment. And the saddest part is that they're that, that their fear of God here, it, it does not lead them to honoring God. It, it doesn't lead them to, to worship God, to see this is the true God, but rather to think less of themselves. The, the text says they, they fell greatly <clears throat> in their own esteem. It'd be like if Isaiah 6, right? Woe is me, and then he just ended there. If it didn't turn around to, to reverence and honor to the Lord, they, they have just fallen in their own esteem, you know. We, are, we stink. They, they were humbled, but they were not repentant. There's many in our time that look at God this way today. There, there's some general belief, theistic belief in God. You know, He must exist. How else do you explain the universe we live in? How else do you explain the miracle of life and, and so many other things? But, but they view God as, as some sort of sadistic monster because of suffering in the world or, or, or some sort of, of other thing they just can't make sense out of. That their eyes are not open to see God's glories. Their hearts do not receive His mercy. And it's, it's heartbreaking, really. You see, if, if the completion of a wall led to this much 
fear in, in, in the hearts of these enemies of God. I, can, can you imagine the hearts of those who reject the Lord's mercy on the day of the Lord's return? You know, we have, we, we have no clue as to whether any of these enemies of, of God actually converted. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. We, we, we don't know, but, but they were certainly shaken by the work that only God could have done. As Raymond Brown says, here was yet another testimony to the providence and the protection of God. They're able to see these, these people matter to God. He's working for them. And while it's the hands of men and women that rebuilt these walls uh, at the same time, concurrently, is a, is a word that would be used here, it was, it was God who, who built the wall. Both of those statements are actually true. To, to quote Derek Thomas, he says, uh, this is the grammar of providence, <clears throat> that they built the wall and yet the Lord built the wall. My mother-in-law, I might have told you all this before, my mother-in-law, uh, when she observes something unexpected in the world and good, um, it, it happened, she, she often uses this phrase, it, that was a God moment. It was a God moment. And, and I'll just confess to you my own kind of wickedness in my heart, right? Or, or, or maybe it's just my, my reformed sensibilities, right? Hear this and I'm like, come on, God is sovereign. They're, they're all God moments. All the moments are God moments. And I, I kind of want to tell her, you, you know, checking your mail today, that was a God moment. And, and it was a God moment, right, that you didn't get in a wreck on your way here today. Uh, you know, when a, a bird pooped on Laura's head, true story recently, that was a God moment. It really is, right, because God is sovereign. And, and yes, everything is providential. It, it is, right? As chapter 5 of the Westminster Confession says, God, the creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creature, creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. And yet it is right for us to recognize, for us to be amazed when God works in some special way, some, some way that is unexpectedly, that it becomes undeniable, that that was absolutely God. That it just stands out as the work of the Lord. Anyway, just like the enemy nations are now wrestling with this unbelievable work of, of God when they see the completion of the wall actually occur and in such a short period of time we, we still see those who deny God today having to wrestle with the mighty works of God miracles occurring that doctors just can't explain or when they see overwhelmingly unexpected kindness from Christians in the aftermath of disasters or, or when notoriously wicked men and women come to faith and, and are changed to the gospel and, and they can hardly believe it and yet they see it and they're just, I don't know how to make sense out of that. Listen, don't look down on those who, who deny God in, in those situations. I know we're prone to do so. But, but remember, right, that apart from the grace of God, you would be that person who rebels against the Lord. You'd be in the very same place they are apart from the grace of God. And, and, and if you're here right now and you're thinking, you know, pastor guy, I, I am that person. I'm afraid of God. I don't trust him. I don't like him. If that's you, I, I want you to know many in this room have been where you are right now. And, and, and people like you are the reason that Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross. I, I want you to know that by placing your faith in Jesus, that you can be at peace with God. That's a reality. Because he welcomes sinners like you. He, he loves sinners like us, right? To, to come to him and to freely receive redemption. Encourage you, stop fighting and find rest in the Lord of glory. And so then, there was a, a fear in the hearts of 
their enemies, but as we see in verses 17 through 19, there's, there's also this fear within the covenant community. It's a, a fear not of God, but a fear of man. You know, let's, let's consider this section properly. That, that opening phrase, right, moreover in those days, that, that is implying to us this extended period of time where after the walls are complete, after the project seems done, right, that, that there's still this issue with, with, uh, with, with one of the enemies of, of God, Tobiah here. He is still running interference. He's still trying to crush the work that God is doing here. Now, Tobiah, right, who is he? he he's a governor of the nearby area of, of Ammon. You can call it a city. Um, a nation in some regard in the way the Persia worked. Anyway, uh, now Tobiah is an ambitious politician and and he's all about advancing his own career. Uh, I know that sounds redundant in most cases for us. Uh, I really uh, appreciate here that that Nehemiah is is admitting something here, that he's struggling in, in this way, that this guy is still here, still trying to cause trouble, and it frustrates him. Uh, that he's had influence inside the, the, the walls, inside this covenant community. And, and here you, you see, right, this discouragement of leadership. When, when, when people stir up disunity among God's people, there's discouragement. And, and what makes it even tougher here is he can't identify which nobles are for him, which are with him, which are actually against him. Right? He's, he's living in this community inside the walls, and he looks people in the eyes, and he has to wonder, is, is this person my friend or is this person my enemy? And Tobiah is particularly difficult for Nehemiah for, for three reasons. First, Tobiah was a Jew like Nehemiah, right? So on some level, he's, he's one of us. He's one of us. He should be with us. And yet, here he is against him. He doesn't want to see not just Nehemiah flourish, but he doesn't want to see Jerusalem flourish. He doesn't want to see this, you know, the, the city of the Lord's temple flourish. Secondly, Tobiah had profitable trading agreements with the Jewish nobles. In other words, um, Right under Nehemiah recently, they've all lost money because he's calling them out for the way that they've been treating the, the, the poor Jews among them, taking advantage of them. And so while their wealth went down under his leadership, their relationship and loyalty to Tobiah has led to them becoming more wealthy. And who doesn't want to become more wealthy? And that's where their loyalty follows. You can almost hear them saying, right, in our, our modern phrase, well, you know, it's business is business. It's, it's nothing personal, Nehemiah. It's just business. Listen, if, if you don't already know this, it's time that you learn this, that you really understand this. Money affords you very little of what really matters in life. You're like, yeah, I know that. Do you really know that? Does your life reflect that? Money affords you very little of what really matters in life, and it buys you nothing that matters in eternity. Absolutely nothing. You know, that, that's why our, our Lord, Jesus, gave that warning in Luke 12, 15 that is applicable, right, to every culture in every single era, on every continent in, in the history of the world, right? Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And these nobles, they don't see that. That's how they get where they're at right now. Make sure that you do see this, that you know this deep down. Make, make sure your loyalty... It is not to wealth, but to, to God and to the purposes of God. Now, the third way that Tobiah is difficult is that he has family connections through his own marriage and the marriage of his son. And, and family loyalties sometimes will overshadow all other loyalty. In fact, they can make it very difficult to be loyal to the Lord at times if the family's not loyal to the Lord, right? Uh, how many have turned down a sense of call to world missions because their family pressured them to stay nearby? You don't know the number. I don't know the number either, right? But I, I've seen this often. 
In the situation in our passage, there is loyalty to family that has superseded loyalty to the leadership that God has provided them in, in Nehemiah, leadership to the, to the city, to the covenant community even, the good of the whole community here. And, and all this has resulted in, in Jerusalem residents, that, you know, some of these nobles acting like they're Nazi spies or something, they're, where they're sending information, they're sharing uh, Nehemiah's words. He said this, he said this, and they're, and they're spreading these things via letters. And and they spoke, right, about how great Tobiah is in the presence of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, doesn't he kind of sound just petty there? Like, who cares? So what? So he's complimenting Tobiah. Big deal. Get over it. Like, toughen up, Nehemiah. Well, here's the bigger thing. For one, they are wrong. They are complimenting an evil man with evil intentions. And they're doing it, right? Presumably here, they're doing it to Nehemiah as, as a way to discourage him. And that's the second point here, right? They are sowing seeds of discouragement to, to Nehemiah and to the community. You know, discouragement is one of the most powerful weapons the devil wields against God's beloved people. At all, all levels, right? Uh, I'll tell you, I've got friends who, who pastor around the nation. I'm on this, uh, we call it a listserv. Anyway, it's a bunch of guys, PCA, mostly from RUF background, uh, that share things on this, this listserv. And you get to hear what's going on in their life and stuff. And sometimes they're very vulnerable um, and, and I'll tell you that the last couple of years between COVID and, um, you know, political divide, that it has brought a monsoon of discouragement on the lives of these, these men that are, that are pastoring, that are serving in these places of leadership, these men that, you know, are, are called to expound the word of God and, and shepherd God's people. And, and I'll say in, in my, I think, 16 years of ordained ministry, I've, I have never seen more men actually leave their pastoral roles than in this period of time. And it's heartbreaking. Either because they just want to go to another church and just start new with people that don't hate them, right? Uh, or, or they are so worn out that they want to leave and, and, and do something outside of ministry altogether. And it's disappointing that it came to that. You know, you, 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 you want them to stick in it. It's, it's just been heartbreaking to observe. And, and, and discouragement will do the same to all of us, right? I'm telling you about pastors, but I know you all feel it. We, we, we have to fight for courage. We have to fight for, for joy in the midst of whatever discouragement might, you know, not might come, has come to you. Right? That's a, a weapon that is so used against us. And, and, and often, and sadly, too often, it, it comes from the lips of those who, who we are in close relationships with. Our brothers and our sisters in Christ. It, it comes from those that we, we dwell closely with. But furthermore, your, your fellow Christians need to hear an encouraging words from your lips. Not, not empty words, but scripture-saturated, truth-oozing words of encouragement. Right? We, we all need to, to do better at that. Um, I don't know why we're not so great at that. I know uh, I made fun of Jenna Fiscus when she walked in here today. Those weren't discouraging words, but they were funny words. Um, but sometimes, right, we, we need to choose to be encouraging rather than funny. Um, let's do that. We see here, right, that the, the Lord proves sufficient to, to Nehemiah. In the, in the last line of chapter 6, we, we see ne uh, Tobiah's intent is to make Nehemiah afraid. He wants to just discourage him, right? But, but we get no indication that Nehemiah is ultimately discouraged, maybe discouraged. We don't see him living in fear, though. Right? That is a, a, a wonderful gift of the Lord here. Right? God, God will continue to provide what he needs in the future, just like he's continued for, to provide for him in the past. And in Christian, you need to know that the Lord will provide for you. He is sufficient for you as well. And notice, Nehemiah doesn't overreact. He, he doesn't 
go to war with Tobiah. He doesn't spread rumors about Tobiah. You know what he did? You know, that kind of thing. He just trusts the Lord. He goes forward with the work that God has called him to. You see, the only way to counter worldly fear of man and, and the weight of discouragement is to cultivate reverence and awe-filled worship and, and love for God, a, a proper fear of God. As John Witherspoon, anyone know that name? Yep, one, one person knows it. Two people, maybe you know it. All right, so John Wither, he was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. Why well, I thought you might know it. Anyway, he puts it this way. He says, it, it, is only the fear, uh, it is only the fear of God that can deliver us from the fear of man. And this brings us to our, our last section, the first four verses of chapter 7. And let me just tell you, uh, we're going to revisit this next week, okay? Uh, we're going to come back through this and look at it in more de- fuller details. So I don't think, you know, he just skipped over all that. Like, he didn't even touch on any of it. Uh, uh, we'll come back to it. We will. Uh, today, though, I, I want you to see the third fear. And remember, the, the first fear was a fear of God and the enemy nations, the sort of fear that's not reverent or, or, or in, you know, doesn't love God. It's not filled with affection for God, but merely a fear uh, of what God in his power might actually do to us, that kind of fear. Um, and, and the second fear was the fear of man that many of the Jewish nobles gave into along with their love of money. And, and, and also, right, just and, and as a side note on fear, right, Nehemiah doesn't give into the fear that is aimed at him. Uh, he doesn't fear the particular man of Tobiah. And, and here we see a good fear in the persons that Nehemiah sets up as leaders here. Now, remember, right, there is this campaign against Nehemiah within the walls, within the covenant community that is driven by that rascal Tobiah, and, and Nehemiah knows it's time to delegate leadership for the flourishing of the city, that he can't just be the only one in charge. And his first two leadership appointments are, are his brother, Hanani, and his friend, Hananiah, who don't need to hang out all the time because their names sound almost the same. Uh, I imagine they heard their own, each other's names all the time. What? What? Uh, now, most believe that Hanani served as the civil leader of Jerusalem, something similar to the role of, of mayor in that setting, right? Uh, that's his brother. And that Hananiah uh, served as the military commander for the city, what we'd probably call the, the chief of police, kind of over that kind of thing. And, and it's one of the questions, people read this and just like, Nehemiah is all into nepotism, hiring his brother right off the bat, Right? Uh, is, is hiring, is this nepotism, right? That, that's that hiring someone that has no qualification, shouldn't be in that position, except for, hey, they're related to me, so let's hire them. Uh, I, I don't get the sense that this is nepotism. Uh, for one, right, we, we've seen that he's qualified. He's already in the, in, in the service. Uh, he serves in other places of high, high position. Uh, the other one is this. In the midst of, of Tobiah's infiltration, one of the most pressing things for someone that's going to be in a high position uh, here, someone that needs to be loyal to Nehemiah, someone that he can actually trust, and, and he can trust, right, that his brother is going to be loyal. And so it makes a lot of sense. Um, and really, you know, when it comes to Hananiah, which wouldn't be a nepotism issue, but he, he tells us exactly why he chose Nehemiah. You see it there in verse 2, right? He, uh, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. Now, you might say, right, he possesses, he's reliable, and, and he's filled with reverence for God. That's, that's who this man Hananiah is. And, and this is the sort of fear, right, that he fears God, that sort of fear that is very different than these enemy nations. This is, this is fear that honors God, that respects God, that's going to be obedient to, to God and his word, and, and that is just filled with, with awe and, and, and infused with love for God, right? And 
And the whole thing, the way this is worded, I find it funny, at least in our English, right? It's the way it puts it, right? It's not, it's not just outright. You know, Hananiah is a man who is God-fearing and a man who is, is uh, not faithful and God, more God-fearing than many, right? He puts those qualifiers in there, and you're like, to me, it sounds like he's saying, Hananiah is, you know, given all these other guys, you're, you're better. And I'm saying you're good, but you're better. Uh, it, it's not really the low-key insult it kind of sounds like to us in English. The, the, the bottom line here, though, is that, that Nehemiah knows from observing Hananiah that nothing and no one in Hananiah's life mattered more than God. He's faithful, and he's God-fearing. I mean, think about those words for a minute. Is that not a beautiful assessment of somebody? I mean, how do we assess others? How, how do they assess us, right? She is a gifted musician. He is insanely brilliant. He's so creative. She's maybe the funniest person I've ever met. Uh, incredible athlete, you know. But do you ever hear someone say, you know, you know, Rebecca, she is faithful and God-fearing. I don't know that we describe people that way. Or even if you qualified it, right? I mean, how would you like to hear that, you know? That Robin is more faithful and God-fearing than many, right? I mean, that's, that, what a beautiful statement. Talk about words of affirmation that we all long to hear, that we, that we long to be true of us. Consider this when you, when you think about how you kind of consider people, right? To say someone's a brilliant businessman, that's fine, that's good, right? But, but is he godly? Is he faithful? Is that, is that before being a godly businessman or just a businessman? Right? Or a good businessman? You know, the, the, these are all the qualities that you want for people that are serving in places of leadership. These are the qualities of people that you want to be serving alongside with, whether, you know, guys in the army or women in the army, right? Or, uh, you know, to, to go into business partnership with. Those of you that are, are single, right? This is the sort of men and, and women that you, you want to date as you pursue marriage. And do you want something, right? A, something worthwhile to aspire to? I'm not saying other things aren't, aren't valuable to aspire to, but, but how about this as a priority, right? That, that you and I, that we be faithful, that we be God-fearing men and women. And so one last observation before we, we finish this morning. Uh, the rebuilding project of Nehemiah is, is really God's project. Think back to the beginning. He, he's the one that, that gave Nehemiah this desire to do it a heart that cared to begin with. And then we saw like a river in the hands of, of the Lord, right? That God turned the heart of the king to, to actually support this desire of Nehemiah. Yeah, you can go. Go ahead and take off some time and rebuild the city. And, and you know, go, here's all the lumber you're going to need. He really supported him that way. Then that's the work of the Lord. And then God got brought together the, the many hands of the, of the small remnant of Israel to actually do the labor. He gave them the strength to, to suddenly do a work that they have not been doing. And anyone who's ever started something new, weightlifting or jogging or a sport or whatever it might look like, you know that you are miserable two days after that if you're not in shape for it. And yet the Lord, 52 days of this hard labor, brings us together. He brought them through all sorts of adversity, all, all sorts of enemies trying to actually stop this. And, and I want you to know, right, that God builds more than city walls. 
carried along by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Spirit said in, or the, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1.6, <clears throat> and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Do you believe that? that? That God who has began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Right? First Corinthians adds this, right? God will sustain you to the end. Theologically speaking, this is called the perseverance of the saints. It means that, that if, uh, if God has called you to faith, and you know that as your faith is in God, right, uh, you will not fall away. You cannot fall away. You, you might wander, you might foolishly rebel at times, but your security is not based on the strength of your grip on Christ, but on His indelible grasp upon you. And that word indelible, right, you know what that means. It, it's a mark that cannot be removed. It is absolutely permanent. It cannot be removed. And that's your salvation in Christ. And I say this so that no matter where you find yourself today, that you lean into the Lord, that you rest secure, that you, you believe God's love for you, and that you learn to love the Lord well. Right? We long to be obedient to the Lord. We're called to be obedient to the Lord and His Word. We are. That's, that's part of our life, but, but that's not the basis for whether God loves us. Listen, God has begun a good work in you, Christian. And he always, always finishes what he starts. And, and just like on the, on the cross where our Savior goes to take the wrath that we deserve. You remember his, his final breath, right? He proclaims maybe the greatest words ever spoken. Do you remember what they are? It is finished. He's completed that. And the work that he's doing in your life, he'll bring to completion too. Let's pray. Abba, Father, you are so perfectly holy. You, you are deserving of our full-hearted worship. How good it is to sing praises to you, our God. Lord, forgive us for moments when we have feared man and melted under the opinions of others rather than standing firm in the truth, standing firm in your word and your way. Father, forgive us for neglecting to fear you and, and be reverent before you. And thank you for Jesus who redeems even this sin we speak of. And, and thank you for the promise to, to finish what you have begun in, in each of us who are trusting in Jesus. Father, strengthen our faith as we believe your promises to, today and tomorrow and the days going forward. And this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.